0: Welcome, one and all, to the episode 100 of the NFL Draft Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And uh, Justin, we're joined by a very special guest, a frequenter of our Hot Takes segment. Um, it, it could be renamed after him, if we're being completely fair, the Gam Scout segment. The one and only Gam Scout, Justin Gamble. Uh, how's it going tonight, Justin?
1: It's going great, man. I cashed in my frequent flyer, miles. Since I get so much airtime on here, I figured, you know, cash come on the 100th show.
2: Honestly, what better guest to have on the 100th show? We've been, uh, we've been reading your takes for a couple of years now. They're always entertaining.
0: So, so, somehow
2: <laughs> this year, it seems like you and I agree on a lot more stuff than we have in, in years past. I'm getting and started. I thought it was high time. You know, I wanted to have you on the show earlier, but then I was like, we're going to hit 100 this year. Even though Seth and I have been pretty lazy with uh, not doing a show every week lately, but I knew we were going to hit 100, and, I, and we've had you on the docket just in our back pocket for a while, so I appreciate you coming on tonight. I can't wait. We're going to talk about quarterbacks. We're going to talk uh, some rapid-fire draft questions. We're going to talk about one of your hot takes, of course. We've got wow. to. And we've got another hot take that's possibly hotter than anything you've ever had, so... Um, I'm excited about this. We might go a little long. Who knows? This this might be a four hour show. I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it, it could be. And and we're already getting the, uh, the. I mean, quarterbacks are always the hot debate. The the dissension amongst the um, internet community. I mean, let's be honest. Twitter's the worst thing that ever happened to humanity because now everybody has yeah. an opinion and a platform to to speak it on. So, but. The thing that's come out now is very much pro Baker Mayfield. Um, before the season, there were a lot of uh, poor man's Johnny Manziel takes. Now he's QB one, so it, it's been quite the uh, it's been quite the climb. I will say this from an on the field standpoint, I can I can I I can get behind the idea of that he's gone from being you know a day late or early day three, late day two type to a early day two. And then you pay the quarterback tax and you're talking about day one, but you know, there's other things involved here, but is he really, I mean, is he really in consideration for the number one pick game? Is that, is that possible? I mean,
1: you know, you finish the evaluation I'm not finish it, but you get this far into it and you think, you know, I can understand the first round pick. I can understand. Where we get off saying this guy has a skill set that absolutely translates to the NFL. Um, he's got the arm talent. He, you know, his height is—he's not five three. He's six feet. So I mean, can he play? Of course. Um, you know, he's mobile kid. He's athletic. Like I said, he's got the arm talent. He can throw accurately to all levels of the field. Is he perfect? No. But can he be a first-round pick? Absolutely. Can he succeed with the right pieces around him and an offensive coordinator that understands his strengths and how to develop this kid? that refuses to stay in structure sometimes. Um, absolutely. But if we're going to – I mean, to say, hey, he's going to be the number one overall pick, that's saying this kid's going to go to the worst team in the NFL and he's going to become someone that not maybe not can carry them but that can turn them around. I don't see that transcendent skill set. I don't see the guy that can step in and handle the mental workload as well as the physical. It just baffles me. I mean, first-round pick, sure, I get that, but yeah, – Talk about this kid at the number one overall pick spot, and you know, going to Cleveland potentially, or maybe New York. I don't know. Whatever. I, I just, I don't see that. I don't see that at all. And and you're like me, Justin. You you have
2: kind of he, Baker Mayfield's kind of grown on you over the times uh, yeah. from our initial takes on him. I know you started pretty low on him before 2016, and now yeah. a couple of seasons later. And I was kind of the same way. We talked about over the summer how Tony Pauline had him as a fifth-round guy with potential to move up. It's hard for me to imagine people that uh, Pauline's always plugged in with the NFL scouts, uh, are people saying he was a midday three pick and now he's moving himself all the way up into top overall pick consideration. That's really hard for me to get behind. But I think the driving force, the driving force behind this is the analytics community Ooh. We see PFF is all over Baker Mayfield. We knew that PFF was going to love this guy this year. Uh, our, our buddy Jim Coburn, who does a ton of draft data stuff, he's high on Mayfield. Justin, you hate stats. Tell us why you hate stats and why it's not about that. It's going to be about the film with this guy.
1: I knew this was coming. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's so, as much as I hate stats, but I'm, I'm that guy. I'm against putting stats in the place of, in, in the spot where we could just watch the tape. You know, uh, I think last few days, I, I've, I recently learned what market share is for wide receivers. <laughs> I'm a little late to the party there. But I learned what it is. And I, and I asked myself, like, why can't I just watch this guy play? You know, if we're going to use market share to dismiss a prospect, why? I could watch him and understand why he's not getting certain touches. Or I could watch this quarterback play. And get the context behind the numbers that i see on this sheet of paper so in the end i don't know if i hate stats but i just don't understand putting them in place of watching the film and it kind of just takes away the common sense aspect of it for me it's like this guy throws three passes in a row that all should have been picked they all get tipped and go to his player do we give him credit for this for these you know these yards and stuff or are we gonna say hey he made three really bad decisions that worked out for him in the end but you know, common sense, those were bad decisions. So stats in the way of tape, I'm just never going to be, you know, I'm never going to be about that. We're going to bring
2: you back in like February and March and we're, and you and I are going to, we're going to talk about, we're going to see if we can hash this out a little bit. See if I can talk you into just using it, not as an eliminator maybe, although I, I think there's some use in that, but maybe to identify
1: somebody that maybe we might be missing otherwise. Okay. But um, yeah, I get what you're Keep saying me too. And then I'll be good. I don't even know what I'm doing with. This. I can barely <laughs> do simple additional subtraction. So maybe it's just me. I don't want to get in the way of my own stupidity. But uh, you know, <laughs> if I maybe knew how to use some, you know, some of them that could actually be applicable, I'm all I'm off of that.
2: Now, I wanted to ask you specifically about this with Baker Mayfield. Did the antics bother you? He's been in the news a lot this year. You know, first it started with the arrest in the off season. He had, uh, a, he was drunk. The police pulled up. He tried to run away. They tackled it. It was pretty brutal video. Uh, surprisingly couldn't outrun them. Uh, but he was drunk.
0: Let's uh, be honest. That is a red flag because he couldn't outrun two cops.
2: Well, I mean, after how many drinks though? So I don't know. Maybe if, what? maybe if it's fresh, oh, I'm still, I'm <laughs> but, still concerned. you know, then you got the flag planting at Ohio state. That didn't bother me. It, the flag—you can't plant a flag on field turf, though. He found that out. And then, no. it recently, no. recently grabbing his crotch against him of all teams. Tearful apologies—we've had two this year already. Uh, does that does that bother you? And do you think that his biggest supporters—I mean, I'll tell you what I think—his biggest supporters seem to be whitewashing this. Does it bother you, or do you think it's being whitewashed?
1: I got nothing against him, man. I've played sports my whole life too. And I think, you know, when you step on the field or the ice or whatever sport you're playing, you kind of have that off switch. And I appreciate competitors like him, like Phillip Rivers, like Tom Brady that want to go out there and, you know, rip the heart out of their opponent and eat it in front of them. I mean, like, it sounds brutal, but he's, I think he's awesome. I have no issue with him absolutely wanting to be the, you know, the fiercest competitor he can possibly be. And sometimes it might get to him and he does some immature things, but I don't think he's like Johnny Manziel where he's just an idiot. I think he's just so passionate um, that, you know, I think he's going to get to the NFL and he's going to do some things that his owners GM's like, oh, darn it. But he's not going to go out and drink on Friday nights anymore and party at frat houses and get kicked out of the league in a few years. I think he's mature enough to understand this is what he wants to do with his career. And I think you can see that in his apologies, they seem pretty genuine. You can see that by his play on the field. He puts a lot into his play on the field, and he's gotten so much better over the past few years that you can tell this isn't a hobby for him. You know, this is what he's going to do. So I appreciate the leadership style he brings, and I appreciate that fire. Um, you know, even if I am a little lower on Baker Mayfield than some other people, I'm not going to deny him that he's an awesome leader and an awesome competitor. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Yeah, I, I don't really think it's –
2: it, his these antics are indicative of him being like a loose cannon type of guy. But uh, th- my only problem with it is that people tend to just ignore it. And, yeah. and I think it needs to be talked about at least. I think it's fair to raise the questions. If we're not raising them, guarantee NFL people are going to be raising them
1: here within the next four months. I, I, I completely agree. I don't think, I think that's the thing is when you support something, you just tend to not want to talk about it. You want to just, Pretend like it's not there, but even if it's something that you support, it still has to go into the evaluation and the scouting report, so to speak. So yeah, I'm with you there. I, I, I have no problem with it. NFL teams are going to dig to the bottom of it and maybe some will like it. Some are going to take him off the board possibly, but that's on them. I mean, he's a leader and I'm all for it. But
0: When you look at this quarterback class, there's no consensus right now. Every, every quarterback has their warts, but the guy that's been the most prolific um, in terms of just pure numbers, pure stats, um, your favorite thing, uh, is Lamar Jackson. He he's been you know kind of the guy that's carried a woeful Louisville program the last two years. Um, you know I say this all the time, but he's going to get knocked for something. And that's the lack of QB wins. I, I know people laugh at that, but I mean, it, it will be a thing that he gets knocked for. Trust me, as it, as we get to the, through the process, so to speak. Um, what are, what are your thoughts on Lamar? You've mentioned that you, you know, your concerns stem from, and I think it's something that we've talked about, you know, footwork, um, his, his, his accuracy is not exactly where you want it. Although we've talked about the fact that it has improved year to year, which is big um, in that aspect. You know, he's not he's not a Deshaun Kaiser at the you know fifty six percent. He's not a Logan Thomas in the in the fifty percent range. So he's at least gotten better. Um, yeah. But I think and and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he's kind of in the same mold. Of a, uh, at least for me as a as a, or not for me, but at least to me as a, a like a Dak Prescott where he's put up all these great numbers, he's improved year to year, and and you know he but you can still see the flaws in his game. Yeah. And w- and when you say all that, and then you think back and you go, okay, well Dak was taking the fourth round. That was clearly too late to be taken. But in the same vein. Is is Lamar Jackson being talked about as, you know, a top 10 pick too high? You know,
1: like most quarterbacks, I think it sounds cliche, but I mean, it's proven year in, year out. It it depends where he's going to go in the NFL. It depends what offensive coordinator gets him, what head coach gets him and their plan for him. And it depends on if they scouted him well enough to understand what they're getting. Uh, When you see a lot of young quarterbacks like Deshaun Watson for me last year, the guy was not great at reading the middle of the field he he struggled with that and it was like either those boundary the the perimeter throws that were schemed for him where he didn't have to worry about you know defenders crossing over and layers and stuff lamar jackson's kind of the opposite he is absolutely atrocious at throwing to the perimeter sometimes but it's more a fundamentals and a footwork thing you know you'll see him stand straight up or like crane his front leg and the ball just dips or sails or loses velocity or it goes out about you know And I think that's correctable. But where you see him excel is actually anticipating and throwing, you know, between the numbers and reading defenders and understanding when they're going to overlap, where his windows are, stuff like this. I actually think, you know, add in the athletic factor for him and that he is so gushed on unbelievably athletic that you can do so many different things with him. I don't, I think top 10 pick could be, major bust for him if you bring him in and expect him to be like josh rosen you know those two guys are going to have to have different plans but if, if you think he's going to stand there in the pocket and just deliver strikes and carve up a defense because he knows what they're trying to throw at him you're probably going to have a bad time but if you can develop him and use his mobility just like houston did with deshaun watson use his mobility give him the throws that he's comfortable making at first and start to you know expand on that slowly and I think he's already light years ahead of where Deshaun Watson was as a passer. But I think if you can do that with him, you're going to see a guy flourish because he's not very limited in a lot of the ways that young pastors usually are. He attacks the middle of the field with such, you know, aggression and velocity and he, the way that he can place the ball. I don't see a lot of big limitations for him. Like I have with some other guys. So I don't, if you're going to take him top 10, you got to have a plan, but I'm not totally not on board with that. I think, you know, in the past, people would say that he's the type of guy that I might, You know, I would kind of dog on and say, you know, he's not ready. But I, I see him a lot like Mariota, um, where they're maybe a little attached to their scheme right now, and they have some limitations just because of that. But they're similar style passers, and they're, st- they're guys that are mobile. And that mobility could really aid them, especially in their rookie year, or sophomore year, when they come to the NFL.
2: Yeah, we've seen kind of a shift in the uh, NFL recently where guys with that mobility coming out of college, they've had some success early And their coaching staffs. When they've had a good coaching staff, they've been able to get them some good looks early because of that mobility and give them some of those one-read-and-run looks that, we, that they see in college. And Lamar Jackson's just so dangerous. I feel like that his running ability is going to mitigate some of the problems that he has, like you said, where sometimes that ball sails on him. You don't have a problem with the arm strength with this guy, but sometimes no. – that ball will take off or like you said, skip because he just doesn't have his feet set the right way. But you yeah. look at the way he was throwing it two years ago versus the way he's throwing it this year, or even like last year when he won the Heisman yeah, versus this year, he's so much better this year. It's, yeah. it's really impressive. I've been, um, I've been impressed with him. I don't want to go too far into it because we took sudden. I took a lot of heat on Twitter last week for our last show uh, because of our praise of Lamar Jackson. So, <laughs> My last question on him for you is, is: Do you have a pro comp? Nothing that sits well with me. Um, yeah, people like, say Mike. Like, people say Randall Cunningham. I...
1: I see. I see Mariota, and now I don't see them directly. Okay. You know, I'm not saying he equals Mariota, but I think that they're similar style guys coming out of college. Um, they excel um, doing a lot of the same things, and I think that, like Mariota, he's kind of not ex- maybe not. Um, I don't even know what the word I'm looking for. He doesn't make the system. He doesn't expand on it and start, you know, he doesn't, he's not like Josh Rosen where he can do things that the system didn't even ask for, but he's making plays with his arm and he is like, I guess, expand it, whatever. He's a lot like Mariota. Where he's operating within that system, but he's doing it well. Um, he's doing the things that they're asking him to do and he's making the tough throws they're asking him to make. And I um, mean, he's not shying away from the, the middle of the field. Um, he's learned to look off defenders really well. Like Mariota started to do at Oregon. Um And he throws the seams, he throws the in-breaking routes uh, you know, as good as anyone does. So add in the mobility, and I think that's kind of where those two meet up for me. I've seen people say
2: Bobby Petrino
1: quarterbacks don't succeed. Is that even
2: something that you take any stock in? I don't. No. I, I don't either. I mean, I think that's just such a – these guys are all different. Uh, yeah. They're all individuals, and I, I just kind
0: of – Right, know, none they, are as good as Tyler Wilson.
2: <laughs> I love Tyler Wilson. <laughs> Let's talk about some tall white guys. Uh, Josh Rosen, you said he's a – Justin, you said he's a far superior uh, – he's far superior to Mayfield
1: recently. Is he your QB one in this class? Yeah, he's my top guy right now. And I think he's one that – he has something that you just don't see often. Um, and that's just mix in the height – I mean, I hate to say height, but – He's got – let's just start off with the physical ability. He's got the height, so we don't have to worry about that. He can see over his offensive line. He's not struggling. He's not tiptoeing like Drew Brees, so we got that taken care of. He's got the arm talent to do pretty much just about anything on the field, so that's nice too. Um, Then he's got the accuracy. And when accuracy is thrown around like it's in a vacuum, like he's accurate. All throws are different. All systems ask them to make different types of throws. But this dude knows how to throw, you know, drop it in the butt. He's got the trajectory down. He understands – how to be a creative thrower, how his receivers will be able to adjust to the ball. He under, he's just gorgeous. to Like the, pet, the, the way that the dude can sling it around the field is amazing. And then when you watch him, uh, I've had the privilege of getting a few all-22s of him, and you watch the way that he can manipulate the defense, and he knows pre-snap where they're about to get him, like what the defense's goal is and where they're going to attack him from. And it's just like you get him in rhythm. And he's carving people up, and they just can't stop him. Um, He he constantly, you know, in the intermediate and underneath stuff, is leading his guys in front of him, so he's allowing for yards after the catch. It's just there's so much that he's willing – that he's able to do, not only physically but mentally. And I think that, you know, that's a huge part of the transition for a quarterback. He's going to get to the NFL and understand protections, understand audibles and check with knees and the way defenses roll. into certain Like, he – he's not going to be behind, you know, there's going to be that transition period, but a lot of guys get there and, you know, Robert Griffin had never heard of a route tree and Tannehill, I forget what was hilarious watching hard knocks that he didn't know, but so many guys get to the NFL and they're basically clueless and he's not going to be that way at all. He understands this game. He's an NFL ready quarterback. And um, I think there's a lot of different systems that he's going to be able to step right into. Um, He's a little limited athletically, but he's not unathletic. I mean, he can move. He was a tennis player, for God's sakes. The guy can run. He's just, he's not Lamar Jackson. But I don't think there's a lot of limitations with him. I think his leadership style or maybe his personality might be the only thing that gets in the way. I don't know what that's going to do with him mentally, where his interests are, and, you know, all that speculation with Rosen. But, uh, yeah, physically and as a pure football player and quarterback, I don't see the limitations in him at all. I really don't know what would hold him back other than himself. He was the guy with the off the field
2: questions coming yeah. into the year. Yeah. The attitude questions. Um, I think we've seen a great competitive streak with Rosen this year. Yeah. He's, he's, he's been really upset when he had to come off the field with, yeah. you know, last week he, they said he didn't get a concussion, but he had to get checked for one. He seemed upset that he had to come out of the game. Um, my only issue with him really this year is he's, he's kind of played a loosey-goosey at times and been a little careless with the football. He's got himself into some holes that he's sometimes been able to dig out of and sometimes not. But he's carrying what we know now is not the best team. It's, <laughs> he's that. like the best player on the weakest. He's like a, the best player on a clearly weak offense. Yeah. So I agree with what he said. Uh, as far and, and he's really grown on me. He, he was a guy I loved as a freshman. And I took I a step that. back yeah. on him, and now I'm starting to appreciate him again. So uh, yeah, he, it's it's weird. He's gonna be that guy who goes number one, or could be in. A, he'll be in the discussion for number one pick, right? But and then the PFFs and the analytics guys are gonna are gonna bang on. him.
1: Don't get me started, bro. <laughs>
0: we'll talk
2: more about that in February.
1: We'll get that um, later.
0: Uh, the comp I've heard that's interesting to Rosen that I I agree with is Matt Ryan. I think that's a a good comp because you talk about a guy that, you know, isn't the you know what what's like a prodigy in any situation, athletically or or with the arm or anything like that. But but mentally he seems to be like mentally he seems so advanced in, in what he's doing. Um, you know, like you said with with the ability to kind of create things that aren't there consistently. I, you know, I, I like Rosen. Um, I think that, I think where he ends up is going to be interesting. Like I've, I've asked people that, that in Arizona, like, what would you think if he came out here? Like he's, you know, he's, he's very um, opinionated politically and, and, you know, you wonder if he goes to like a conservative state like how they would how they would embrace him yeah Um, and and because you know for whatever reason you you get identified uh, but you know winning cures all and nobody will care if you win consistently so
1: which is true and i see a guy to me i see a guy that's a little more calculated than matt ryan i mean you see matt ryan sometimes and he's kind of aloof and like the mistakes that he makes on the field you almost wonder like what were you thinking but with Rosen, a lot of the, the YOLO balls and some of the throws that he's making, I understand what he's doing, and I feel like I'm, I, I kind of can see him standing there being like, screw it, I'm, do- like, I'm doing this, and it, you know, it might go poorly, but I know what I'm doing. Where Matt Ryan, I've never really got that vibe. He he always seems a little aloof for me, and a lot less calculated with the way that he plays. Um, I feel like Rosen's just that guy that will do a little more. He'll take it a step further and kind of – maybe go to battle a little harder than Matt Ryan ever has. I could be wrong there, but that's just kind of the vibe that I'm seeing on and off the field with, with Rosen.
2: More of a far YOLO than a uh, Cutler YOLO.
0: <laughs>
1: there we go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like that. I love that. actually. <laughs>
0: when when you look at this class, one guy that at the beginning of the year was getting kind of propped up and Justin and I had kind of said like, look, look, look like he's not a bad prospect if you are okay taking him as a day two probably a day three type of guy um but we were seeing you know talk of him going in the first round that's that's cooled off but you're you've been out on mason rudolph i want to say from basically the beginning um what what don't you like about rudolph i've i've called him mike glennon and i that's you know kind of how i feel like he's like a big guy that's rude man (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> he's a big guy that you look at and you think he's got like a lot of spin behind him and that he's going to be able to do some things and he can move a little bit for his he size. Yeah. But then, but then you watch him and it's just, it's never consistent and and you never see the, you never really see the power um, behind the throws that you expect for a guy his size.
1: Yeah. I don't know if he has like baby hands, but there's so like I have, I put it out there, I think me and Mark Jarvis talked about it today, that he pushes that ball a lot. Like, his elbow doesn't whip back. He's not spinning it. He's legitimately pushing the ball. Um, And so many of his throws come out just with no spin, no trajectory. They're just like tossed out there like a volleyball. It's weird. Um, And then when you add in, like his system is just unbelievably stupid. And I get that it's great for college football, but he doesn't transcend it by any means. Um, he goes, you know, so often he's the one read, drop your eyes, kind of panic in the pocket guy. Um, and I've noticed, too, a lot of his throws over the middle of the field kind of need a runway because he really doesn't understand trajectory or maybe can't throw with – I don't whatever. It's like if there's a defender in front of his guy, if he has to throw over the linebacker, he doesn't do it. He'd rather just hold the ball and wait till he clears him and then scramble and so, – you know, I – just plain and simple, don't even see a guy that I think can throw the football at an NFL level. Um his outbreaking throws are kind of pathetic, inconsistent, you know, he'll hit one out of every six or seven, but blind squirrels find nuts too. And it's like, can I really rely on this guy in the NFL to to do this? His footwork is interesting. I don't think they stress it a whole lot in, you know, in Oklahoma State either. There's just, you know, and then throw in the lobbying rainbow balls to James Washington and Aitman that are constantly getting bailed out that they're bailing him out for. Uh, I There's not one throw. There's not one thing he does that I'm like, this is an NFL level. Other than being big and mobile, there's, you know, if it's not an RPO, he's lost. And I'm,
0: you, you asked uh, to, today or yesterday, I want to say, about James Washington. Yeah. Did you not? I did, yeah. I, and, and so this is something that uh, Justin and I have had conversations about um, with guys. And so – One of the things that's like tough with Washington, that that my question is, is are is he having to win contested catches because of Rudolph, or is he winning contested catches because he can't create separation? That I mean, I do I do wonder if there's like. If you can separate yeah. Washington from Rudolph, and, and to get that, but one thing he does well—I mean, you know—and you just kind of stated it was he does win yeah. contested catches. He does, which is, which is a you know a, a you know is he going to be kind of like a, a Jarvis Landry type player where he's just going to get you know 80, 80 balls in in eight hundred yards type thing. <laughs> And, and so, you know, I think that's always a question. But yeah, go go back to Rudolph. I just wanted to answer that real quick.
1: Well, real I'll separate real quick. I'll, I'll kind of answer your question about Washington. I'm I'm not super high on him, but if if I had to pin the responsibility on one of those two, Rudolph sucks. And he, there's there is a lot of times where Washington <laughs> is separating, and he's coming back. He is separating, right? I mean,
2: yeah, you, you've. I know Big Twelve quarterbacks are on four sixes, but he is getting. Two or three steps on some of these guys, and he's got to wait on the ball and fight yeah. back through somebody to get
1: it. I'm not going to take that away from him. Yeah, he he's good at tracking that ball. I mean, it's it's rare that you see a guy like consistently does it the way he does it. Um, he's got the he's got build up speed. I'm not sold on him athletically. You know, laterally, he's just built weird. He's and built so him, weird,
2: right? He's he's yeah, got like, when you get him the ball, in the long field, legs and like, like this boxy torso. And no he neck. He looks like a. He looks like the kid from Alabama last year, uh, Stewart. Darius Yeah. Except he's built like that. Like, almost like a running back upper body, and then yeah,
1: like long like, legs. Just, yeah, uh, like if you pin that upper that upper body on, like shoot, any running <laughs> any running back, it'd be awesome because he's got no neck. He can lower his pads <laughs> and roll off everybody. But yeah, no, I. We'll talk about James Washington in a different day, but I'm not sold on him as a prospect, but I will say that he's bailing out Mason Rudolph left and right. I mean, so is Marcel Aitman and McCleskey. I'm just not sold on him. Those ball, I feel bad for him most of the time. You know, you watch James Washington get two or three steps, and then he's like, all right, Mason, here I come. And, you know, he's running back three, four yards trying to make a play. So that's – It's crazy to think that a guy could average 20 yards a
2: catch, and he should be averaging like 30 yards a catch or more because he's getting. So far out in front, and as and, uh, quarterbacks kind of leaving, and with uh, Rudolph, it's like I've noticed even more this year that he's leaving those deep balls hanging for for all of his receivers, really. And it's uh, I think this is an. I I just think that this is an instance where a player peaked as a sophomore, and he just didn't get better from there. He's the same player. He, he's the same player in 2017 that we saw in 2015 when we thought, hey, this is a, an interesting guy. He's a big kid. He's already yeah, a team starter. Right. And it just didn't go anywhere from there. So, um,
1: yeah, I've cooled on him significantly too. Yeah, I mean, his he didn't develop mentally, and his body kind of stayed the same as far as, like, he doesn't throw the football any better. He's still I, pushing it. He's still
2: – I man. still think he's going to get some hype in this draft season because he's a he's – a, multi-year uh-huh. starter, you know, he's three plus year starter. And they're we're going to hear a lot about his intangibles. We're going to hear a lot about his size and leadership. And he and has, right. <laughs>
1: and, and then you have <laughs> a
2: guy who has, uh, you know, who's been on a successful program. Yeah. So you've got all those things going for him. I think he's going to go a lot. Even if we're saying like, Hey, maybe he's a, like a late third round to fifth round guy.
1: Uh, I think it's going to end up, He's going to go higher than that because of all these things that we're talking about. Yeah, I don't disagree, man. I, it, we're, it's the NFL we're talking about. Anything can happen. Manziel and EJ Manuel went in the first round. Christian Ponder went in the first round. So I'm not going to put anything past any of these teams. I heard some things today that there's a team that loves Rudolph in the second round, and one team that actually digs him possibly in the first. <laughs> um, so Arizona. Yeah. Uh,
0: no, I will. <laughs> I'm already being threatened with, like, Josh Allen. Like, I don't Wait, you're
2: that's... already being threatened with Blaine Gabbard as your starter next year. Yeah, you have Blaine Gabbard as your starter.
0: That's so, right.
2: That's so, right. speaking of uh, first-round busts, we saw um, Kyle Bowler, was probably the worst first-round quarterback I can think of in recent memory. He had a 47% completion percentage in Cal. And uh, his claim Ooh. to fame is that he threw a football through the – operates from the 50-yard line from one knee. Everybody knows that story. So let's get to Josh Allen. What's up? you yeah, super it. critical. <laughs> Seth and I have been super critical of Josh Allen. We have never bought the hype. We, uh, we have been pushing back on this from day one. He really hasn't done anything this year to change our minds. And I want you to tell me, can you sell us on this or at least tell us why we're being too hard on him, Because I know you still see something there.
1: Yeah. All right, let me put on my salesman hat real quick. All right. Uh, so here's the thing for me. Not only do – I think we all need to understand quarterback is the most re- like reliant position on others around them in any sport alive. Like that's – you need help. Um, Josh Allen, we saw him play last year, the 2016 season or whatever. We saw that – I don't know, maybe you guys weren't even impressed with him last year, but when it wasn't pouring rain in San Diego State or whatever, when it was the other games, you saw a kid that could sling the ball all over the field. He could get in rhythm. He could make throws that just wow you. And, you know, not only is he big, strong, he's mobile. I mean, he can use those legs. Those legs could aid his transition. Um, so, for me, it's like he loses all these pieces this year comes back, he has really no run game, he's got no receivers. And these guys, I mean, they're pathetic. So as an athlete, you watch, a, you're, you watch an athlete do something once. You see him do it for the entire season. Nothing really changed in him next year. I think we're talking more of a matter about not that can he ever do it again, like he's just not doing it now. He, he has the capabilities. He has done it. He's just not doing it now, and we have to kind of diagnose why that is. And I'm not going to put all the blame on everything else and not him. He's not playing well, um, but he's also not getting help. And we can see this year, even in the NFL, guys need help. Dak Prescott went from being, you know, one of the most glorified rookies of all time. And now people are asking the stupid question of, is he even good at all? Well, he's good. He just, he's a reliant guy on people around him. And that's not a knock. I don't think that should be a knock. Not every quarterback should be tasked with carrying their team 100%. And another question I've, I've kind of come up with the last week or so is, like, why in the NFL do we understand that guys need supporting cast? We understand they need good play calling. They need supporting cast. They need weapons around them. But in college, when quarterbacks are lesser developed and need more help, it's like they either carry their team or their dog crap. You know, and I think there's a middle ground there. Maybe I'm being a little too extreme about it. But for me, it doesn't really make sense because Allen is, you know, less than an NFL quarterback still. he's playing. In college, he is still a young kid, but right now he's being forced to play with guys who were mediocre high school players a few years ago, um, and that to me just doesn't sit well. That we can tear him apart. Um, I get the critiques, and I get some people aren't going to be as high on him as I am, but I do think there's something there. I think that what's
2: working for him here is he's 21 years old, but it he he doesn't turn 22 until May. But the thing that bugs me here. This was a JUCO guy. He was never highly recruited. He was not highly recruited out of JUCO. He got hurt his first year at Wyoming. He comes out last year. And they had a pretty successful season. And, in fact, they, as a team, they're having another pretty successful season. For this yeah. program, this was a program that was down in the dirt not very long ago until Craig Bowell got there. And Allen's getting a lot of – You know, I think he got a lot of credit early on and and it's still sticking to him because he's coming from this Craig Bull system that Carson Wentz came out of. But he's not Carson Wentz as far as development is concerned. He's playing a little bit tougher competition than what Carson Wentz was facing. Maybe that's even debatable. I think Mountain West is a little bit tougher than FCS. Yeah. Um, But when we've seen Allen against teams like Iowa this year, against um, Oregon – against Nebraska last year, against BYU, and, and granted that it was raining in that game too, you just haven't seen this guy excel the way that you would like to see a guy. So if people were talking about him, and I've said this a million times, if people were talking about him as a project, a player who has upside, then I could see that. you know, Like yeah. you said, big kid. He can move. He can run. He's got a gun. He's got a gun, and he's made some wild throws. Even against yeah. Iowa, he made a beautiful throw that the receiver bobbled and they waved off the touchdown. Yeah. So that yeah. was that was brutal to see it live. Uh it just it was like ah, there it is. There's the great play. Oh, and they have to take it away yeah. from him.
1: And he dropped so it. Like,
2: it's rough. I feel for him because I think he got overhyped and now he's probably tr- been trying to live up to that hype all year and it's just not there for him like you said. He lost his top receiver, top tight end, top running back. And here he is trying to live up to this hype that has been created for him by draft media. Yeah. I, don't think, I don't think when all is said and done that this player is going to go in the first two rounds. I think he's going to end up going in a third or fourth round, maybe even fifth, because wow. I think once people start to really look closely at this, you look at an old school guy like Greg Gabriel. He's going to knock him for Mountain West competition. He's going to knock yeah. him for performance against FBS. Completion percentage, touchdown interception ratio—all those things that I know you hate. But we've no, talked I'm to Dan Murphy, who um, did some scouting internship for the Arena Football League. We've heard that that stuff matters to personnel people. So all the scouts are going to be talking about those traits that you mentioned that are that are high end, and there is something to work with. But the personnel people—they're not going to be willing to risk their jobs. I think this kid is going to have a plummet. It's already sound like he's going to come out. He will get drafted, but he should thank the media for that because under
1: normal circumstances, I'm not sure that he would. Yeah, and I think you're – I mean, sounds kind of ironic, but maybe he should be a little happy because, yeah, I mean, before – if he even has a decent season this year, he's clearly not ready. I mean, he might be tasked with going to take over the Browns or the Giants and absolutely turn around the franchise. Now he's going to have the pressure off of him a little bit um you know and maybe he'll get to go to a team that understands this guy's a bit of a project and maybe he wows them and actually you know exceeds their expectations um but I think you brought up a point that was pretty could be useful for a lot of prospects and you know each and every year is that we end up evaluating these guys off of the hype we don't evaluate them just as players we hear oh late first round pick and then if we don't like him fifth rounder or we hear (laughs) You know, it's it's like that every year. It's like, let's just – maybe you don't like him as much as some other people, but it doesn't mean he's not a late first round pick. Maybe he's a early second or mid-second. But I think, yeah, when you said that, I, I kind of thought, like, I, that's so stupid and simple but no one thinks about it. And I hadn't either. But um, it's it's important, I think, to think about that. you got to – Yeah, I think we get caught up
2: in – I think we get caught up in assigning round grades. Yeah. And that's just the nature of, of like – you know, doing draft analysis on the internet versus doing it for a team. That's when we see a difference when, it, like, for the, uh, a person who used to actually do scouting like Greg Gabriel or like Dan Hatman or someone like that, where they don't necessarily give round grades. I kind of think sometimes that's hedging because, as an analyst on the internet, people want to know what round you think the guy's going to go yeah. in. But we I kind of see I, if, if I put myself in that draft room, then it, it makes more sense to me.
0: Yeah. I don't like it.
2: As somebody who wants information, I don't like it. But I kind of makes more sense to me if I try and put myself in their shoes.
0: Well, I think the other thing is too is with like draft analysts, so to speak. There's no nuance. So we've had this conversation before. Like I, I was considered the Carson Wentz guy, and and that I liked Wentz. But I've always said, like I thought Wentz was a like a middle late first round type of guy like i didn't i didn't understand trading up to number two for him i i just didn't like i thought it was a bad idea for them because i didn't think he, they would get the returns that they have this soon i thought he could be good i just th- didn't think it would be this soon and it was the same kind of hesitancy i had with blake bortles going three like i thought blake bortles was a top 35 player in the class but he needed to go to a team like Arizona or Pittsburgh and sit for a year or two and then take over, not go to Jacksonville and be expected to be the savior. Um, And and I I think that's kind of what you talked about earlier is fit matters so much. And when you look at Carson Wentz, he had a good rookie year for what he was asked to do and the talent he had around him. And now he's having an MVP caliber year And he's got an amazing cast around him despite the injuries along the offensive line for the Eagles. And so it wasn't so much that the Eagles bet on this guy and and traded up for him and then just sat there and kind of let him try to grow with the rest of the young guys. It was, all right, we've got this talent on the offensive line. We've got these guys. It, now we need to get him weapons, and so they went out and they got Alshon Jeffrey. They invested in Torrey Smith, and now all of a sudden Nelson Aguilar is coming along. They've had Zach Ertz; he's a very nice, you know, tight end.
2: Um, they added Legarrette Blunt too, they added and um, Jay Ajayi and at the trade
0: I, Yeah, yeah, and so like that's the thing is, and, and I think that's what you're talking about. It, it's not so much just the pure evaluation of the player. But it, it the landing spot matters, and one of the th- one of the you know kind of analogies I use is that quarterbacks are either elevators or they're being elevated, and and like when you look at in the NFL the scope of the NFL, there's like three quarterbacks that are elevators anymore. I mean, obviously Tom Brady. Drew Brees is one, like he's been good everywhere he's been, or, you know, every season, uh, no matter what talents around him. Uh, And then, you know, and I think Cam Newton's one, because I think he gets a really raw deal. Aaron Rodgers has. to Yeah, Aaron Rodgers obviously is one, but he's injured right now. But we see how much he elevates the play of everybody around him. And And you can see
2: that these guys have It all evolved into that, too. It's not like they hit the ground running day one, elevating the guys around them. It took some time and some patience from the organization. So maybe Wentz becomes a guy like that, too. Maybe Prescott does, too, down the road. People are saying the same things about Prescott, like they were saying about Russell Wilson a few years ago. And now Russell Wilson's playing at a different level, I think. So it's interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting point.
0: Let's uh let's move on from quarterbacks. Uh, we want to ask you about these running backs, and and I want you to put these guys in order, of you know one being the best and four being the least best of this group. But Saquon Barkley, Darius Geis, Ronald Jones, and and Nick Chubb, how would you how would you label these guys?
1: You guys just want Twitter to hate me, don't you? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, here we go. I like guys so much. Um. I don't have any question marks with Geis. He'd be my top guy. And I think over the years especially, it's like with Jordan Howard and Kareem Hunt, and I hate to bring them up because I know they're the exception, not the rule. But when you go back to their college tape, it's like they do everything well. They're pure running backs. They just weren't gifted, you know, physically like some of the other guys. But the game moves so fast, and just being a pure football player – matters so much and you can tell those are two guys that have just played it their whole lives they were in the backyard their brothers were tackling them they they just know how to play the game they know how to play it fast and physically guys is that guy for me it's like he just walks out in the world and he's like I'm, I'm running back i know what i'm doing like this is easy for me um he's my top guy ronald jones is going to take my number two spot and i know that's just this is going downhill because sparkly hasn't been talked about yet but uh Ronald Jones is physical. He has the vision to go between the tackles. I think he is going to be fantastic in a zone running scheme. He's got breakaway speed, Um, the reactive athleticism that he shows where it's like, he doesn't need to be, you know, in perfect positions to make a jump cut or to be agile. It's like he can react and adjust on the fly. He's just another guy that he just knows how to play running back. He's like Kareem Hunt, where he doesn't have to be a freak athlete, but he understands just how to contort his body and keep going and balance out, balance out contact. Um, number three for me is Barkley. Maybe the best pure runner since Barry Sanders. Um, you could say that he's better as a runner than Adrian Peterson because he is more agile. He's more fluid. He's just a different type of guy. Um, but to me, as a pure runner, he's the top guy. But as a running back, I'm not seeing it so much um it's not like he's bad i'm not gonna say oh he's bad i'm you know i have huge knocks on him but i think that there's some issues with him running between the tackles i think that his vision kind of lacks sometimes and he second guesses himself a lot um i don't think he likes to finish runs as physically as you would expect from a guy that's above 225 pounds um and i think the nfl might kind of swallow him up a lot of the games that we've seen this year where he kind of gets held in check on the stat sheet, you go back and watch the film, and you can see there were yards that he didn't get. There were yards where there were times where he's one on one with a defender and he goes down with an arm tackle, or goes down with you know just the inability to plow through a dude. And you're 230. You have to you have to make it work. Um, and then my number four guy is obviously Nick Chubb. I don't think he is in the top tier of running backs. I think there are certain things he does really well that could elevate him in the NFL to being a super productive guy. But I don't think he's nearly as versatile as the other guys. I think he needs the right fit. He needs the right offensive coordinator and the right run scheme. But he's powerful. Um, He's got good balance. Uh, He's got a little breakaway speed. I think he's still getting some of that burst back from his injuries. But I like Nick Chubb a lot. I just wouldn't put him above these other three. So I don't want to say, oh, Nick Chubb's not that good because he's my fourth. He's still dope, but he's just my number four guy. It's interesting. Chubb was a lot of people's
2: number one guy a couple of years ago, and he hurts his knee. And, but he looks like he's back. I mean, he looks like yeah. he's mostly back. He's not, maybe not quite the same player he was before the injury, but he's, he's better this year than he was last year, and that's what we wanted to see from him. But I want to go back to Jones. I love Jones' toughness. He, he is not shy, even though he's just a shade around 200. Like, yeah. you know, He was listed at 195. I think he's a little over that now. He looks it anyway, Um, but he's not afraid to mix it up as a a pass protector either, and he'll, like you said, run between the tackles. He pushes the pile a lot of times more than some of these bigger backs. Seth agrees with you, I think, on Darius Geis being running back one. I'll get back to that in a sec, but you and I talked about Barkley a few weeks ago after the Mm -hmm. Ohio State game, and I said – because people were on on twitter and they were it was like blasphemy if you thought that uh, Barkley wasn't the Heisman winner at that time. Yeah. And I said watch that Ohio State game. This guy is not only going down at the line of scrimmage, which wasn't my criticism. It was that he was giving up ground yeah. against a fast defensive line where he was trying to do too much and he was losing yards. That They had an 18-point lead, and they blew it, and part of it was because they kept losing yards in situations where they are trying to run out clock. And that was something that really bothered me that day. I still love Saquon Barkley. I think he's a fantastic player. I've seen, uh, you know, in space, as a receiver, just a terrific guy. I've seen um, LaDainian Tomlinson comparisons, and I don't think he's as tough of an inside runner as that. But as a dual threat type, I love that. And, you know, he's going to have to work on his pass protection, That doesn't bug me. Back to no. guys I think he's kind of going to be this year's Dalvin Cook, where he's going to have like an off combine and people are going to
1: second I guess
2: think, him uh, because I of his agility. I think he might run
1: in the four fives. He might run four five one and
2: people are going to lose their minds. Even worse, he might run a four four shuttle. And um, we saw, we have seen, uh, and you mentioned Kareem Hunt, Dalvin Cook, some of these other guys. Don't have the best shuttles, but they end up still being pretty good running backs. Seth, um, correct me if I'm wrong. You have guys over Barkley too, right?
0: Well, uh, th- that's what I said. I said if you need a running back, if you need a guy that is more Dalvin Cook than David Johnson, I would, I would take guys, because that's, I mean, mean, that's part of the, the thing with David Johnson is that, you know, he's not a guy that goes four and a half, four and a half, you know, four and a half. He's a guy that goes two to 22, you know, like he makes big plays out of nothing, but then he also gives up yardage on, on plays because he's not necessarily the most skilled runner. Um, at this point, because you know he tra- or he he went to Northern Iowa. They played in that wide open spread. He was a wide receiver in high school. Moved to running back. Remember when people said he was a, he was an H back? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, exactly. And, and but that was the thing you got to remember coming out. The he did look better at running
2: routes than he did as a running back at, at Northern Iowa, but but that was the he, criticism. He value in a player like that with the. With the high-end athleticism,
0: right, and so you know he tested through the roof, and he's built like Barkley, and and there are criticisms, or there were criticisms similar to Barkley of what you're saying about Barkley is that how does a guy that's two thirty go down on contact? Same with score? Le'Veon Bell, right, and so when you look at those guys, that's that's the mold you're shooting with with Barkley, whereas Geis is more, like I said, more of a natural running back. He's more of a guy that you know is going to he's
1: gonna bang inside all game.
0: Right. And so yeah. right. So he may not be the big play guy. I mean his big plays are going to come through wearing teams down. Kind of like Dalvin Cook did in his in his debut. You know, he didn't have any really big runs and you look up and he's got 80 some odd yards You know, and then the next thing you know, he breaks off that 40 plus yarder and you're like, holy cow, this kid is special. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't because it was athleticism or anything like he wore these guys down and then he was still, he was still able to make a move late in the game that 90% of running backs can't do. And so that, you know, that's the type of runner I, I see guys as, whereas I see Barkley is kind of a give him thirty touches, twenty carries, ten ten receptions, and you're going to have a really productive end of the game. But in the middle, it may not. You know, th- there may be a lot of lost yardage type plays.
2: You look at you look at Cook, you look at Zeke Elliott, a couple guys who are great between the tackles, runners, and, and get that get those extra those tough yards at the end of runs. And you see what a difference those guys make versus the guys who are coming in backing him up, do you guys, do you guys see in Geis that he's able to – does he have enough ability in the passing game as a receiver, as a pass protector to stay on the field like those guys? Because we knew they
1: had uh, ability to stay on the field in the passing game. I think so. Like, I think all the times we've – you know, the limited amount of snaps we've seen Guys actually catch the ball –
0: well, that's what I was going to yeah, say. Even,
1: they,
0: I was going to say, they don't even know how to throw the ball at LSU. Yeah, right. So, like, it's – I mean, let's be honest. It's it's similar to Leonard Fournette last year where he came out and went to the combine and caught passes, and you're like, wait, is this a tight end or is this – He was running, a running receiver routes at pro day. Right, and you're like, wow, they, you know, and they had to bring in Matt Flynn to throw him the ball. Like, I, I'm not even joking when I say that it's not fair to – Fournette. Oh my Fournette. God! I
2: forgot about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not it's not fair to Geis and Fournette to penalize them because they play for a school that apparently can recruit high school quarterbacks, but then has no idea what to do with them once they get on campus. So, like, uh, like when you're having to bring Matt Flynn in to throw routes on, you know, on pro day. There, there's a problem. I mean that's just the reality of it. There's a problem with the quarterback situation at LSU. So we you know as Justin was saying, the limited information we have, I think you have to assume that he can do it. but it's not going to be anything we know until really probably preseason training camp and preseason where yeah. he's asked to do it consistently. Let's do some rapid fire. Make a Fitzpatrick.
2: Justin, is he a cornerback or a safety?
0: He's a safety,
2: man.
1: He's a safety. He tackles well. He's got amazing instincts. He can make plays on the ball. I didn't even really like him that much at corner. He got beat a few times against Clemson. He got kind of run down a little bit that year. I think he's just – he's not a bad corner. If you had to say he is a corner, he's not bad. But why put him there when you could use that versatility and that overall skill set at safety and move him around? He can play strong, free, nickel. He can do anything. He's a, he's Isn't a- that what they
2: said about Jalen
1: Ramsey? Yeah, but I was wrong on Jalen Ramsey. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I think we've seen, we've seen Minka do more than Ramsey, though. We've seen him in more spots. We've seen kind of a different deployage of him. Am I right? I, I, you know, because Ramsey played that star position, and it kind of just boiled down to he's a nickel. We didn't even really get to see him play traditional safety enough no, we uh, saw
2: mostly – yeah, like you said, nickel, And we saw him playing corner, but he was mostly just roughing up receivers. Yeah, like, he's just punching dudes. He wasn't, like, showing great coverage skills downfield. <laughs> no. Like he is now. Um, but I think there's – when a guy can run like a gazelle and, and he's that physical, and I kind of think that's what we're going to get out of Minka. I I think he's going to get – he is – gonna he's so big and fast. He's gonna get his first shot at corner. I'm almost like hundred percent sure. Oh. I know that everybody loves him at safety, but I just think the NFL is gonna be like, We don't see guys this big that can run like this. We gotta put him at corner first. They're, they're playing Obi Melifonwu at corner, for Christ's sake. Are they actually or they they having? have, right? Ah. So, All
1: right.
0: Yeah, they were gonna start working him in because he's been injured yeah. most of the season. It
2: didn't go well the the snap that I saw, but uh you know
1: that's upsetting. See, yeah. Let's take out the
2: quarterbacks out of this
1: draft. Who's the number one pick? Uh I, I hate to say it, but I could, you know, Barkley might end up being there, right? Like, yeah. it would be uh, the first time since 1995 that a running back went number one, and the last one was from Penn State, too, right? Kajana uh, Carter, right? Yeah, I, I don't think it's smart, but I. If I had to put money on it today, if someone put a gun to my head and said, like, tell us who, I'd probably throw out Barkley's name and say, you know, it's going to be this guy. I don't think there's an offensive tackle worthy of that spot. Chico, the, you know, four from Western Michigan might make a rise. Connor Williams might have, like, an insane pro day and pre-draft circuit. But I kind of think if you had to bet on a safe bet right now, it's Barkley. You said a four, a directional Michigan
2: school offensive lineman who's going to the senior bowl direct. number one this really
1: is 2013 all over again is yeah it? see that's the thing is <laughs> he, if he all he has to do is bend his knees once he gets there and he might be you know the top pick so
0: we'll see i'm so excited for quentin nelson to go top five <laughs>
2: <laughs> no they're gonna say he's number one and they'll go like you know 13th or whatever wherever DeCastro went yeah he'll drop
0: DeCastro went in the 20s because people are morons and want the Steelers to be good forever. Well, and then
2: and then there's going to be the overcorrection to take like a Jonathan Cooper at oh. seven overall.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> and that's going to take, that's going to take up old six years and five teams to figure out that he's average. Cowboys All fans right. tell me he's good, though. That, no, Yeah, and he hasn't been good since Tyron Smith got hurt. Anywho, <laughs> uh, the most overrated player in this draft, Justin.
1: For me, for me, it's got to be Maurice Hurst right now. And I'm not saying he's not a first-rounder. I'm not saying he's bad. But I'm hearing, like, Aaron Donald comps. I'm hearing the highest-graded player ever to go to the senior bowl. You watch this dude, and it's like he shoots off the ball. He comes forward. But I don't see a lot of bend and lateral agility from him. I, I kind of think it's like he's a lot like John Bullard, except I don't even think he's that flexible. Um a lot of times his head's down he's running past the line running past quarterback or running back i saw one snap where i'm like you know he's so low and he's gonna shoot forward and the guard's gonna put his face in the dirt the guard put his face in the dirt and i I just don't see like he doesn't have the the flexibility to lock out or shoot through and redirect um the the top five top ten talk with him is just a little ridiculous to me and the top graded guy ever at the senior, but that's a little ridiculous to me. I think he's a first round player. I just think he's a little more limited athletically than people are talking about right now.
2: Uh, you guys can maybe help me out with this. Did he play last week, Maurice Hurst? <laughs> I'm just kidding. He, oh. he, he was non-existent against Ohio State while they were getting uh, while they were coming back with their backup quarterback. Uh, this guy had three tackles, I think two two or assisted tackles. I think me, I only watched the first half. Yeah,
1: Life. well,
2: or if you like Michigan, that was a good half to watch. But <laughs> the other thing is, Maurice Hurst's dad played in the NFL. We know that's yeah. worth at least one round of uh, draft grade. So he's going to go in the first round, like you said. I li- I'm, I'm kidding, though. I like Hurst. I think he's a very yeah. good player. He is, uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he is a fifth-round senior. He's at least a fourth-year yeah. senior, which – we talked about it on the show many, many times. Like when you're a senior prospect, that means that you didn't declare early for some reason. A lot of times it's because you didn't get the high enough draft grade. This was yeah. uh, something that we mentioned when we talked about Jonathan Allen last year. He still ends up going in the first round, but then he was kind of a non-factor until he got hurt. Now he's on IR. Hurst is more John Allen to me than he is. Aaron Donald. I mean, any Aaron Donald co- uh, comparisons utterly ridiculous.
0: Well, that's like when people were starting to compare John Allen to J.J. Watt, and we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oof!
1: I remember that. And yeah. It's like
0: no, you can't do that. Like that's one didn't of those. He get
1: a, didn't he get an Dominican Sue comp too? Yes. Yeah. And yes. so it's like, it's like, dear lord. And well, you know,
2: that's... Allen had to get down to two in the two eighties to work out as well as he did. Yeah. Uh, I think Hurst is playing in the
1: 280s as well. That is not something you really want to see. To be 280s or whatever and only move as well as he is right now on tape, that's not good. You're talking
2: interior line, and and you've got to be a serious disruptor to be that small, I think. At least he doesn't have uh, injuries. At least he doesn't have two bad knees like Dominic Easley. (laughs) That's true. Justin, he was everybody exactly is sleeping. sleeping was. Everybody is sleeping on who right now?
1: I don't know if he has announced whether he's staying or declaring, but for me, it's Tanner Lee, the Nebraska quarterback. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen any of him, but the dude, he's a big dude. Again, he's another mobile guy, and he can sling the ball. Um, a little bit of a YOLO type. <laughs> There's games where he's tossing like three, four picks. And then against Penn State, he throws up like almost 400 yards, has a great completion percentage, and has no interceptions. He's a little, so, he's inconsistent, and I know, I think Tony Pauline said at the beginning of the season after a few games, like, scouts were really talking about him, and then he started tossing picks, and, you know, it, it cooled off. But you look at his skill set and the way he attacks the middle of the field and is able to throw his guys open and kind of work some teams over in certain games, certain games. Um, there's a lot to work with there, I think he could make a pretty big rise coming up here soon or, you know, pre-draft. I don't hear his name a whole lot. I don't know if people just haven't watched him yet or they're just watching, you know, the interceptions saying, like, this ain't going to work. But for me, that's a guy that I would, you know, I'm probably going to have a little higher than most people. Pauline recently said that Tanner Lee
2: and Clayton Thorson out of the Big Ten were both leaning toward declaring for the draft this year. So Lee. Uh, he mentioned when he mentioned Tanner Lee that it had to do with the coaching change that's anticipated there. So um, Lee could be a name that we're going to be talking about here pretty soon. And if I know Twitter, like I think I do, he's going to end up in the second round of the Twitter mocks in no time.
1: Yeah. And then immediately we'll be evaluated against those mocks and he'll be an undraftable player. So (laughs) exactly, it'll go full circle really fast. Let's get to uh
0: let's get to the GamScout scout segment.
1: I knew this was coming. Here we go. And uh
0: and, and we'll start with one of your own cuz this was uh this was a tweet that, you know, obviously made everybody angry. So, I loved it.
2: I loved it. I, the the <laughs> anger. The venom. It, it went on for like um a good 36 hours I
1: think. It's still going I'm pretty sure. We'll see. <laughs> I'll check after this, but <laughs> So
0: Gam tweeted, from what I've seen from them in the NFL, uh, I'm still taking Trubisky and Kaiser over Watson. So this isn't – No, no, this isn't – I mean, I, I had Watson QB1, and I was right. But, <laughs> but this isn't – I think is, I agree with
2: Justin.
1: <laughs> well, but, <laughs> and, that said something, man.
0: And Justin Higdon and I talked about this a little bit. Like, did we undersell Deshaun's knees, Watson's, Deshaun Watson's knees and like the, the troubles that he's had. And because that was a non-contact injury, which meant like it was going to snap at any point. Like it was going to happen. There was nothing that could be done about it. So. I mean, is there any way to know,
1: you know, like, yeah, you had the ACL before, but how do you, how do you gauge that for future prospects? Yeah. So that would be my question.
0: I don't yeah. Know. And I, I think I, that's I, fair, but, but when you, when you talk about this, I, so I'm okay with the Kaiser thing because I've seen, I, I, well, and to be fair, Trubisky is in probably a worse situation than Kaiser. I don't know if I don't know if anybody's in as bad of a situation talent wise from a talent standpoint around them than Trubisky. I mean that that receiving core is just awful in Chicago.
2: I mean they're scraping guys off the practice squad weekly and and then you know churning the bottom of that roster. They yeah. they just cut Trey McBride. They've had Tanner Gentry, who is uh, the Wyoming receiver, undrafted rookie. Um, it's a mess. They have other teams also ran's and and uh, leftovers. It's just <laughs> as bad as Cleveland's supporting cast is.
0: At least you according have, according
2: to Twitter and according to the Cleveland media, it's much. I think it is much worse. And sense. I think you have a coach with Trubisky and John Fox who wanted really nothing to do with this situation.
1: Unfortunately,
0: so here here's a here's some fun inside talk. So a former NFL coach, you guys can do with this what you will, a former NFL coach that is on television quite often every week, um, text Fox and said, the kid has it out for you after the Trubisky trade and pick was made. (laughs) So, everybody, including those that aren't
2: involved... Referring to Ryan Pace? Yeah. The GM of Chicago. Yeah, that
0: that they weren't concerned with, with John Fox, that this was about getting a roster ready for another coach. Like, there was no, I guess, no question that this was not going to be a, a good year for John Fox. And it was basically some people are saying, you know, it's, it's sabotage and, and I don't think it goes that far, but I definitely do think <laughs> that they were not worried about what John Fox thought of this, this team or this roster. Justin, I'm
2: going to Kaiser. Cause I knew you were high Kaiser and I, I was too. Um, and obviously his rookie year has been a disappointment from a numbers perspective, they have a good game. I think Hugh Jackson is putting him in a very tough spot week to week. Tell us why what, – what are you seeing from Kaiser versus what you saw from Watson? You talked a little bit about Watson, how they set him up with the type of throws that they know he can make with using his mobility, playing to his strengths. That being said, what are, what are you seeing out of Kaiser that makes you think you've
1: seen more out of him than out of Watson? Kaiser just seems to have, and not even seems, you can tell he has more command of that offense. Than, you know, Watson still looks like the guy that's like they're calling plays for him. And then he goes out there and does it. Or he drops his eyes and runs around. Kaiser's going out there. He's making line of scrimmage adjustments. Um, he's recognizing the mismatches. He's attacking the middle of the field. Um, he's driving the ball you know into some tight windows making some pretty tough throws um and he's doing it you know with a pretty bad supporting cast and i and i don't think hugh jackson's play calling has been anything close to good um there's so many like week in week out you'll just see situations and you're scratching your head like why would you do that why would you call that right now um he's putting him in some interesting spots and as a rookie who is not only a rookie, but he's a young rookie. Like Hugh Jackson just doesn't seem to have a grasp on what Kaiser is and what he needs to do to make him into the quarterback that he wants him to be. Whereas Watson avoids the middle of the field like the freaking plague. And so all his, I, I went through and charted every single one of his interceptions. And there was a few where, actually almost all of them except one in New England where it was like the end of the game. but. You're watching him make these. There's a, decisions where like Earl Thomas picks him off and he didn't move. Uh, Miles Jack picked him off in week one, and it's like he saw the pick happening before Watson even threw it. Um, and I don't want to knock Watson too much because I understand he's still a rookie and some of the situational awareness type things. I'm not going to get on him for because he's a rookie. Like he, and and, and but, to be fair, he's taken what
2: they've given him and he has put up. Points at kind of yeah. an unprecedented level. Yeah. I, I know that a lot of that, has, uh, a lot of credit goes to Will Fuller and uh, DeAndre Hopkins yeah. making sensational catches and getting open deep. Absolutely. But um, he he was making the plays with the plays that were called for.
1: He is, but and, and the other thing too, though, is there's a lot of plays that he's making that, or a lot of throws that he's making that should be picked or you know the, the thing i have a problem with is the way that he refuses to hit the middle of the field it's like you'll see so many dudes running open and if he could not only read it but anticipate it he'd have so many more yards but instead he's running or he'll drop his eyes after his first read kind of run around lob up a ball or find the schemed open guy for him deep or something but And I don't have a problem with him making these plays that he's making, but I just wonder, is this sustainable? Is the way that he's doing things sustainable? And for me right now, I don't see it. And that's why I'm not saying he's horrible or he can't develop. But right now, from what I've seen from Trubisky and Kaiser, I think there's more to build off of. And I think they're mentally a little further ahead of Watson as, you know, they understand how to diagnose defenses, how to read the middle of the field where, Watson, a few of his interceptions, it's like guys are crossing and he'll just throw it to the safety that the guys are rolling to instead of understanding, hey, that's you can't do that. But, you know, a lot of his mistakes just seem very, very rookie-ish compared to Kaiser and Trubisky who seem to diagnose things a lot better. Kaiser's
2: kind of been a turnover machine yeah. until recently. Yeah. Until recently, and then when he, he hit a buzzsaw at Jacksonville, Yannick uh, Yannick Ngakwe had three strip sacks in that game. I think that <laughs> has a lot to do with the offensive line situation. Obviously, Joe Thomas is out, and Yannick was going up against Spencer Drango. That's a yeah. favorable matchup. Jacksonville's a tough defense, no doubt about it. Up until recently, though, Kaiser's made a ton of uh, mistakes, especially in the red zone. I do personally think that there has been growth. I understand that Cleveland fans are very impatient because they haven't had a winner in so long. That being said, I would really like to see this kid, he's 21 years old, get an opportunity to maybe get a more favorable coaching situation and Hmm. maybe uh, get a couple of, they've got 12 picks, maybe build around this guy. Tell our listeners, we've got some Cleveland fans that listen. Is this a guy that we should be looking at as a player that Cleveland can build around, or should Cleveland just forget it? It's, it's never going to happen. Get a quarterback at number one, or maybe both. Maybe you just have him, you still stick with him. What's the scenario there?
1: See, I think the problem is too often teams worry about the investment they put in and not the prospect itself. I think if Kaiser was a first-round pick, They'd be sticking was, with him, right? Yeah, they'd be like, wow, this dude's developing. Like, He's improved, and this is something to build around. And you look at so many other rookies and rookie seasons, and you see not near the physical attributes that Kaiser possesses, but not also you don't see any development. You don't see anything really encouraging, and you're just like, well, I hope it gets better next year because we, <laughs> we, we spent a first on him. But it's like because he was taken in the second round, they immediately don't feel like they invested anything in him, and they're ready to move on. But I think he's got enough. Not even enough. I think he's done more than enough to where you can say there's a lot of upside here. He's still young and he's doing some special things. Let's stick with him another year or two. If he's absolutely awful after that, then we're still screwed, like we always have been. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I mean, know what do you have to lose, really? That's yeah, the thing. I, right. I, mean,
2: I guess I don't see what the value is in just get like grab another rookie and go with a different rookie. Yeah, and, and maybe only, add. Yeah. Uh, you know, another receiver at seven or something like that. <laughs> to me, it's just it, – it's a bad situation unless you maybe – like I don't know what their other alternative would be, like trade for Kirk or, you know, give 30 cousins.
1: Yeah, and that's know. the thing is it, I don't think there's a lot of situations where it gets drastically better right away. Um, you have a rookie who's developing, keep him. Like, there's, there's no downside to that right now. It's surprising
2: to me that we see people in the Cleveland media pining over the fact that Cleveland didn't get Jared Goff when they could have moved up maybe one spot to get Goff a couple of years ago. And Goff had a very uh, awful rookie year, and you now say we're seeing worse than Kaiser's been. Like, and LA's kind of reaping the benefits of having a new coach, fresh blood in there that's playing more to his his strengths, and he's developed a little bit too. Yeah. I just think there's, I think there's a different answer than moving away from Kaiser, I agree. I'm not sure I agree with you about, um, uh, on your take, although I love your take because I am a Browns fan, so there's that. But this, Seth, this take, I'm gonna kick this <laughs> to Seth to read this. Yeah. This is the hottest take I have seen in probably a couple of years. I can't remember a hotter take than this.
0: This is a good one. In fact, so, this is like
2: five hot takes in one.
0: So this is Mark Jarvis at What's on Draft NFL. And he says, Lamar, so I'm assuming this is Lamar Jackson. Or Lamar, Lamar
2: Mil- it, it's probably Lamar Jackson,
0: but
1: <laughs> it might be yeah, it could be. Anyway. You know.
0: Lamar isn't a top 10 QB in this class. Sonny Michelle is undraftable. <laughs> Matt Linehan, I didn't know who that was before the show for being completely. <laughs> Matt Linahan of Idaho is a top five, is top five at the position for the class. That's a quarterback. That's a quarterback. Malik Jefferson looks like a sixth or seventh rounder at best. Lavon Coleman is running back four. Richie James is only productive because of scheme and Mark Walton and LJ Scott are day three talent. So there's a lot, there's a lot to unpack there.
2: His last sentence might be correct. Uh, Justin, tell us what else, tell us what's right and wrong about that.
1: (laughs) Uh, Is anything in here, Right? No. <laughs> you know, we were – L.J. Scott I, might
2: be a day three talent.
1: Maybe, but, like, we were joking before the show, like, this is enough material for all of the pre-draft process. And I like Mark Jarvis. Mark, if you're listening – I him, do nice too. Try, I just started following him, as
2: a matter of fact.
1: Good follow. But, but you got to understand, I mean, I put in my time getting made fun of him on the show, so I, it's my it's my turn now. Um, this is worse than anything I've ever said. And I will give him – I expect, I agree. <laughs> Some of these, I'll give him a little credit. Maybe it's just he hasn't had a big enough sample size. I know he said he had a hard time finding Sony Michelle tape. So maybe he just hasn't seen it enough. But, like, Lamar isn't a top-ten quarterback. I don't know what – I'm assuming Lamar Miller. Lamar, And Maybe Lamar Miller can't throw the ball that well. Malik Jefferson's a seventh-rounder, six-seventh-rounder at best. Uh, I don't – I'm not going to go there. I'm not even going to – that's not – LeVon Coleman, running back four. I think he's had, like – 200 yards total this year. And then. Isn't Lavon the Coleman is only... running back four on Washington?
2: Yeah. That's
1: the thing is like, he doesn't even get carries on his own team. Um, Richie James is only productive due to the scheme. Well, that just seems a little absurd because that's, he's a pretty athletic dude. I mean, he's small and he's like, he's like Jameson Crowder. I mean, he's not going to be not productive. He's a good player. And Mark Walton, all right, LJ Scott will get rid of that because he might be a day three. He might be like a fourth rounder. But Mark Walton's another guy who's pretty electric when he was healthy. Um, he was tearing some people up. He kept Joseph Yearby on the bench last year, right? Uh, I don't know. If that's I don't help me out here, guys, because I'm a little lost for words. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, Walton is.
2: Uh, uh, he's an early entry. We already know he's declaring for the draft. He, yeah. he got hurt earlier this year. And But he was super productive sophomore, and so now he's coming out. There is some off-the-field incident with him where he had, he had a DUI, and he pretended to be a police officer and pulled over that's a young lady. Yeah. So there's some off-the-field stuff that could drive him to day three. If, if that's what Mark's getting at, then maybe he's right. Um, but Walton was, was running like a madman before he got hurt this year. Yeah. In fact, I thought he looked a lot better this year than he did last year when he was very productive. So um, Sonny Michelle is a guy who keeps Nick Chubb splitting carries. So, I mean, Chubb is a, a, a guy who's potentially talked about as a day-two running back, an early day-two running back. And here's Sonny Michelle who forces his coaching staff's hands and, uh, and gets on the field. And in some cases, I think there are some people out there who have said Sonny Michelle's a better running back than Nick Chubb. I don't agree – But I think that
1: there is value there. I could see it either way. I mean, Michelle is a little better laterally. He creates a lot better for himself. I think he's a little more flexible. Um, You can kind of see him bounce out contact, off contact a little better. and He kind of redirects himself easier. Um, And he's a great receiver. I mean, they've split him out into the slot before. He can catch the ball, you know, so well. And he's a big dude. With he's power. a big kid too, right? Yeah, he's like 225. He, he's powerful. Right. He's amazing in pass protection. So,
2: like, Michelle's also going to test out very well. He's gonna, the, the, the combine fans are going to really like his athletic yeah. scores. I mean, so yeah, fantasy I football is going to love Sonny Michelle. What's that? F- fantasy football Twitter is going to love Sonny Michelle when he, when he does his combine.
1: I think so too. And they're going to see him catch the ball like Christian McCaffrey did last year and be like, holy damn. Uh, undraftable. Mark, we got to get you some more tape, buddy, because <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> Matt Linehan, um,
2: uh, you know, I'm going to break this out. I, I need to watch the tape. That was okay. my
1: teacher in like six I need grade, to watch the tape.
2: I have not seen Idaho tape this year. But I can tell you this, because I've done the stats on this guy. as part of my process. I've done the stats. He is grading out statistically – as a late-day three to undrafted free agent type of prospect. Now, that doesn't mean if I just went on stats last year, Deshaun Kaiser would have been in that category for me too. So there are exceptions to to these things where I, will, where I like what I see so much that I'll still boost a guy, uh, maybe to my own detriment. But uh, Matt Linehan, I need to watch this guy. I will tell you this. He graded out better statistically than Josh Allen.
1: <laughs> not hard to do, man.
2: <laughs> not, not hard to do. Uh, the new grades out higher than he does after last <laughs> weekend. <too. laughs> I, know, I know Malik Jefferson also, uh, I think he declared earlier yeah. this week in our buddy Matt Miller at NFL Draft Scout, who is a Texas fan, right, Seth? He, he said this is a mistake. I'm not so sure. Jefferson yeah. was a, a, a five-star recruit. He's an ultra-athletic. He's a linebacker. And Texas is kind of in – even with Tom Herman, where I think they're going to get better, they're kind of in a holding pattern right now. I I don't see any problem with this.
0: Seth? I have have no uh, opinion on on Malik Jefferson um, coming out because this class is probably bad enough where anybody can come out and – that thinks that they can go in the top three rounds. The linebacker class that. as a
1: whole or just the whole class? The whole class. I, okay, I can see that.
0: Because I, I agree. I, I think, there's, I think, think there's, it's
2: very top-heavy, and I think it thins out very quickly at a lot of positions.
0: Yeah.
1: I think Jefferson, too, is going to be that guy that, in shorts, he's going to wow everybody. And he's going to run well. He's going to look good. He's going to put on an absolute pre-draft show um, and I bet he's going to be that guy that he's played the mic spot he reads the whiteboard well just because he doesn't show it on tape he's going to impress everyone in every aspect of the pre-draft um, I don't see the upside of staying at Texas another year for him I'm I'm with you I don't get what Matt Miller was really sync like what his reasoning would be I don't know if he elaborated on his take but like if I'm Jefferson I, I'm coming out I'm a freak athlete. Um, my, my college is kind of in limbo mode where we're rebuilding and nothing's going to happen in one more year. Like, you know, go get paid. I think this uh, – we heard this criticism about Rayquan
2: McMillan last year coming out from Ohio State. He didn't put up big numbers, but he had a very important role on that defense. And when people got critical of his numbers or, hit, or where he was, I think linebackers for a lot of people on the internet are difficult – to diagnose as far as like their film grades because they are doing specific roles. A lot of times they're filling a gap and they're not meant to have a ton of tackles or you know, it's kind of up to the offense as to whether that guy's going to have a ton of tackles <laughs> if he's playing yeah. disciplined football. So I know we caught flack for saying Miles Jack wasn't making a lot of plays, but he was in a role where he was supposed to be making plays. Raquan McMillan was in a role where he was supposed to be filling gaps there's a difference i haven't looked at malik jefferson yet i will now that he's declared but obviously on paper this isn't a surprise to me not at all so justin you have written for you you're writing for nfl draft bible correct yes all right so tell us before we get out of here how did you get your start in all this Tell us a little bit about how you got started doing the draft analysis. How you got started with your presence on Twitter and all that.
1: Well, I was doing, let's see, I started playing college football um, like two years after high school. Interesting. I, I kind of had a weird path. I started playing, um, I think when I was about 18 or 19 was when I, so that was like 2008. I started getting into the draft analysis and kind of where players went and how to evaluate them so i did it for about three or four years by myself um then i had a buddy who wanted me to work for him at cover 32 magazine now owned by ben albrand i believe but i started writing for them i literally wrote like two things my old football coach goes hey like you know make a twitter and i was like i don't know what that means like a sound or i i had no idea because i'm pretty technologically sound. <laughs> uh and then so i did that um i think i just started posting like some videos and just like some analysis just some some of my stupid takes like always and uh my boss like twitter messaged me over dms and i completely thought he was just messing around but he goes hey shoot me your email give me your phone number like well, we'll, you know let me give you a call it's like a four hour interview later and he goes you know sounds like you know your stuff uh can we get you on board so right at, right at that point i started writing for them the next year um, I went to the Combine and ever since then been traveling and just doing stuff like that for them. So uh, it's been an absolute blessing. My boss is awesome. He's got. He's done a lot of different things. I mean, he's worked for ESPN, NBC, USA Today. He's got a lot of ins and outs with awesome people. So, um, yeah, it's been fun. It's just a lot of resources at my disposal, which is amazing to have. Um, and coming up, I'm not really sure what I'm doing coming up. I don't know if I'm going to make it to any of the all-star circuits or whatever, or any of the all-star games, do that whole thing. I'm kind of in limbo mode right now. We have a few things that could possibly be changing with our company and our site. So I'm kind of just sitting, waiting patiently for orders to be given to me right now.
0: When you when you talk about NFL Draft Bible and what, what you guys are doing over there, um, is it more geared, for those that aren't aware, is it more geared towards, like, the in-depth, the knowledgeable fan, or is, are you guys trying to um, educate? Like, how would you describe NFL Draft Bible? I think
1: lately, well, I think it's been a little less of the X's and O's educate stuff. It's been a lot of reporting. I know my, my boss does so much traveling. Um, it's been a lot of reporting. Um, kind of more reporting the news and the, the player movement and stuff like that. Uh, we've kind of been busy with – we were working with the College Good Iron Showcase, and we were in charge of being their scouts and their personnel directors. So we were trying to assemble a roster and get tape from coaches and agents and everything to kind of do that. Uh, we were working with some CFL teams and um, some NFL teams that asked us to put together some, like, draft guides and lists and stuff like that for them. So, unfortunately, it hasn't been – the site that we have been able to market super well to like the average everyday reader, like a lot of the websites you'll see on Twitter. Um, but I think that might change here soon. I think they're trying to expand and we're trying to figure out a way that we can market ourselves a little better, just so, you know, everyday people can, I guess, enjoy what we do. And you know, right now it kind of feels like we're working behind closed doors a lot, um, which is rewarding for us, but overall it doesn't, um, it doesn't get us talked about or known that well um so i think like i said i think some changes are being made and we're kind of in limbo mode right now awaiting a few different things to kind of go down or change and um, that's kind of all i can say at this point but i will say it's been you know absolutely amazing um working with the college gridiron guys has been fun i'm getting to go down there to texas and talk with those scouts and all that stuff it's it was uh it's kind of an eye-opening experience and it's given me a lot of open doors so
2: and, and you guys were one of the only outlets that I saw last year that covered that whole college gridiron thing. You know, that's one of those things that Seth and I have talked about. That, that's like the nitty-gritty scouting. A lot of people go to the Senior Bowl these days, which is a great experience if you haven't had the opportunity to get down there. I recommend it if you're into this. But going down to the Shrine game or the college football showcase or the, or the college gridiron showcase or the NFL PA game, and uh, what used to be, I don't think they do it anymore, the Medal of Honor Bowl um, and some of these smaller all-star games, that's when you can really find, if you're into it and you like finding diamonds in the rough. I used to be into that when I had a lot more time on my hands. I kind yeah. of miss those days where I got to, like, sit there and watch Division II tape uh, and really try and find those gems. But that is – those are outlets where you can go to, like, NFL Draft Bible. Well, you guys are the one site that – I was like, "Who's covering this?" And you guys are the one site that was covering that last year. So, hey, man, thank you for coming on. You've been a good sport. I know we've we've uh, talked, we've read your takes on Twitter, uh, on the show so many times. You and I have gone back and forth on Twitter about a number of prospects over the years, but yeah. mostly in good, you know, in good faith. We're not, we've never had a contentious nah. interaction that I can remember. You know, I drink a little bit, but you never know. Uh, uh, But thanks, man. I appreciate you coming on, and I hope to have you back on soon. I I hope
1: uh, this was as
2: fun for you as it was for us.
1: Anytime. Yeah, man, it was awesome. And anytime, I would love to come back. I think the format of Twitter kind of makes it to where there's no other option than, like, to argue with people and kind of look like a dickhead. But when you (laughs) actually kind of, like, get to sit down in a circle with, like, other guys and just talk football – you can kind of work through your takes and like understand what people met more. So I'm, I'm I'm pretty pumped. I finally got to meet you guys and just kind of chill and talk some ball.
0: Well, we appreciate you coming on. We'll be back next week with some more takes, uh, probably a little bit shorter of a show. Maybe, I don't know, we'll see. Um, Or maybe we'll do a two-week break and do another two-hour show. So, But thanks, as always, for listening. Check us out on SoundCloud. Check us out on iTunes. Check us out on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, We'll be back next week, and, and have a good weekend, everybody.